Welcome to Canine Nation. It's Sunday, January 6th, 2019. This is episode 118. Hi, and thanks for tuning into the podcast. I'm Eric Brad. This is the ninth year of Canine Nation. I started writing for Life as a Human in 2010. Back then, there weren't a lot of blogs or podcasts out there talking about modern dog training techniques, positive reinforcement, or behavioral science. I'd like to say thanks for reading the essays, for downloading the podcasts, and I'm glad that people seem to find what I have to say useful for their everyday work with their dogs. I'm interested in what you would like to see more of on the podcast or in my essays. And it would be great if you could send along suggestions or comments to our email at talk2 at caninenation.ca. That's talk and the number 2 at caninenation.ca. If you enjoy what we do here, why not drop by caninenation.ca and click on the Donate button and leave us a one-time or recurring donation of $1, $5, or whatever you think would be appropriate. This week, I wanted to take a look at something that sometimes gets overlooked. Our dog's brains are not that large and not that complex, and that goes along with the way they interact with their world. Their perceptions are not that complicated, and neither are their thoughts about the world. So why should our training be complicated when we're trying to teach them new behaviors? Oh sure, as humans, we can be quite clever in how we construct our training scenarios. We can arrange things in all kinds of ways to get our dogs to do a behavior we're looking for. But that doesn't mean we're being good communicators. When I train with my dogs, I like to stick to the basics that I learned so many years ago in mark and reward training. See the behavior, mark the behavior, and reward the behavior. It seems like a very simple formula, but much like the mechanics of sports like bowling or soccer, practicing the basics can mean the difference between being a good player and a great player. So I wanted to focus on those basic skills that we all need if we're going to be good at working with our dog. And I wrote it all down in this essay that I call Dog Training Mechanics. Baseball is a wonderful sport. Many of us have played some form of it from the time that we were children. Whether it was stickball or softball or just picking up a game that involved hitting a ball with a stick, most of us are familiar with the basics. You would think that hitting a ball would be relatively simple. But it turns out that the best hitters in professional baseball hit the ball less than 30% of the time. In fairness, the pitchers in professional baseball are incredibly skilled at what they do. Hitters practice long and hard to achieve the few hits that they get. It's a matter of mechanics. Both pitching and hitting the ball are learned skills. Close attention to the mechanics of each particular skill can make you better at it over time. We shouldn't be surprised that training a dog also requires mechanical skills. 
If we focus on developing our skills, it would not only make us more effective trainers, but it could also eliminate many of the problem behaviors we see develop in our dogs. Bob Bailey has been training animals for over 50 years. Bob reduces the basic process of training down to three critical steps think, plan, and do. Each of those phases requires their own set of skills, and each of them can be improved with practice. The think phase requires that I get an idea of what I want to teach my dog. Plan will give me an opportunity to go through my set of training tools and decide how I'm going to go about communicating with my dog during the training process. And finally, do will have its own set of skills where I have to be effective at putting all of that thinking and planning into action. Bob Bailey is clear that these three are separate and distinct activities. And that you should never try doing more than one of them at the same time. It's never a good idea to change the plan while you're already doing the training, nor is it a good idea to change what you wanted to train once you've started your planning. All three aspects of the process are important and should be done independently. That's not to say we don't stop doing the training in order to reevaluate and adjust our plan. Or stop our planning in order to change what behavior we want to teach. We just need to keep these activities separate. The think process of training, for me, can happen anytime or anywhere. It's that moment when my mind wanders and I think, hmm, it would be fun if my dog could do some new behavior on cue. It could be something like backing up or putting both front feet on a small stool or lifting up their head to help with grooming. It's just a creative exercise in coming up with training ideas. Planning is a different matter. This is where I will be called upon to use my experience and training skills to figure out how to teach my dog what I want. Will it be a multi part training process like teaching my dog first to go to a mat and then to lie down on it? And then wait until I signal them that they can leave? Or will it be a more simple task, like teaching my dog to touch their nose to the floor? How I develop my plan will depend on my skills as a trainer and the complexity of what I've decided to try during the think phase of the process. The most creative thinking and the most detailed planning can all be for nothing if my training mechanics, the do part of training, isn't executed well. It doesn't matter what training methods you use. There are always basic skills that you need to perform well in order for your dog to learn. For me, that process breaks down into three things see it, mark it, and respond to it. Each of these steps has its own skills, and I've learned to get better at each of them over time. Seeing is just what it sounds like. You have to be able to recognize the thing that you're asking your dog to do when they do it. This can seem like a very simple task, but anyone who has trained a dog can tell you it isn't. Dogs are fast, and the more complex the behavior you're trying to teach, the more vigilant you have to be to see it when they offer it to you. It's a skill that involves recognition. Marking is a different skill, it's about communicating to the dog. When I mark a behavior that I'm looking for, I'm telling my dog, that, that thing you just did, that is what I'm looking for. 
As you might guess, the primary skill here is timing. Like a baseball player trying to hit the ball, I have to coordinate what I'm seeing with my marking so that I communicate properly. Too early, and I might get only part of the behavior. Too late, and I might get something totally different from what I wanted. Both seeing and timing are skills that can be practiced without your dog present, and it can help your training if you spend a little time brushing up on those skills. Responding to my dog's behavior is a multifaceted skill and requires both planning and good execution. I use rewards to encourage behaviors that I want during my training. But where I deliver the reward, how I deliver the reward, and when I get that reward to my dog will all have an effect on how quickly or how slowly she learns what I'm trying to teach. One aspect of the training process that took me a while to get good at was making it clear to my dog that we were moving on to another try. I found that what I was doing before and during my dog's behavior had a major impact on her understanding of the transition between one try and the next. It was important for me to behave in one way while I was waiting for her to offer me some behavior, and then behave differently while marking and rewarding her efforts. I found that extra movements, talking, or gestures were confusing my dog. Even simple comments like, Okay, sweetie, be patient with me, can be a distraction. Readjusting my physical position in the middle of training was disruptive to my dog. Anything I was doing or saying might influence what my dog was trying to learn. I found that my training was most effective if I could be as quiet and as still as possible while working with my dog. Making no unnecessary sounds or movements until my dog offered her behavior produced the best results. Then, when I had marked the behavior and was delivering the reward, I could offer a pet or an enthusiastic, good girl, to help her understand that the job was done and we were moving on. Perhaps the biggest surprise for me when I began to focus on the mechanics of my training was the effect that it had on my dog's interest and enthusiasm for the work we were doing. The better I got at my training mechanics, the easier it was for my dog to follow along in the training process. It became easier for her to know when we were starting, when she was successful, when she needed to try again, and when we were done. Good mechanics gave my dog the confidence and trust that comes from understanding the process. I was being clear and consistent about my process, and that made it all very predictable and easy to understand for my dog. It was remarkable to me that the old proverb, less is more, could actually apply to dog training. Focusing on the simple basics and learning to do them well made me a better trainer more quickly than any fancy new training technique or device ever could. The mechanics of dog training are simple. Doing them well, however, is not that easy. Bob Bailey has been teaching animal trainers that important lesson for decades. We would do well to heed the advice of someone who has trained dolphins and bears and lizards. We just need to keep our eye on the ball and keep practicing our swing. It's the only sure way to hit home runs with our dog training. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We have over 100 episodes available both at the caninenation.ca website and also available through iTunes and other podcast directories. 
You can also find Canine Nation articles at the lifeisahuman.com website or follow the links under writing at caninenation.ca. Canine Nation is also on Facebook. You can find our Canine Nation page where we post information about the latest articles, podcasts, and news about Canine Nation events. We also have a discussion group, the Canine Nation Forum. It's a place to discuss the podcast, the Canine Nation essays, life with dogs, and training our dogs, or just to share some information we found around the Internet. Thank you for listening. I'd appreciate it if you'd share this with the dog people in your life. I guess that's all for now. Until next time, have fun with your dogs.